Chapter 17 of The Ticken Coat Treasure by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17 The Cellar of the Secret. Why, Miss Bristow, I cried, perhaps you don't recollect me? She started quickly and drew back for a moment, her countenance blanching. Then, looking into my face, she said with a timid laugh, Why, of course, doctor, but have you forgiven me for taking you on that fool's errand yes long ago i laughed but our meeting this evening is certainly unexpected have you friends in the neighborhood she replied in the affirmative but without giving me any explanation and your brother i asked recollecting whitworth's declaration that he had never heard of her is he any better oh a great deal thanks was her reply he took a turn for the better that night I came to you, and has improved ever since. She looked, I think, prettier than on that night when we had driven together to Blackheath. But she had deceived me in regard to her statement concerning Dr. Whitworth, so I suppose she was deceiving me now. She was in a hurry to get home, she told me, and my first impulse was to follow her secretly. But when I recollected that the man for whom I had been so long in wait was actually inside number seven, I decided to keep watch upon him rather than upon her. The fact that she had come from that house was in itself curious, and made me suspect that her visit to me on that night in Walworth had some secret connection with the scheme of this man Purvis. The manner in which she was hurrying when I stopped her made it plain that she was late for some appointment. Well, there were two courses open to me, namely, to follow her or else to remain and await Purvis. The discovery that she was friendly with some person at number seven had suddenly aroused within me a desire to know her place of abode in order to make secret inquiries concerning her. Yet, after all, my chief business was with Purvis, so I decided to remain on watch for him. With her consent, therefore, I saw her into an omnibus for Ludgate Hill, when she told me she would take the train home, and when I parted from her, I expressed a fervent hope that we might meet again before very long. Good night, she said as we shook hands. Yes, I hope we shall meet again in more fortunate circumstances than tonight. And she mounted into the omnibus and left me. What could she mean by more fortunate circumstances? I was puzzled at her words, but at last their truth became apparent. Through many hours, till far into the night, I waited in that vicinity for the man who was my rival. But he never came out, neither that day nor the next. The reason, I afterwards found, was simple enough. The servant had played me false and told him everything. Therefore, he had waited until darkness set in, and then climbed over several garden walls into Wells Street, a short thoroughfare running parallel at the back, and quietly emerged into Gray's Inn Road. So, while I had patiently waited in front, he had ingeniously escaped at the back, aided most probably by the mysterious Miss Bristow and Mrs. Graham, whose character, of course, I had no means of ascertaining. According, however, to my friend the constable, some shifty individuals lived in that neighborhood. In any case, I had the dissatisfaction of knowing that all my vigilance had been not and that the man Purvis would never again run the gauntlet of Calthorpe Street. He would no doubt arrange for another address. 
and if so i might obtain it by means of the kennaways providing of course that they had not yet told him the house was let i took counsel with mr stafford as i did very frequently nowadays i blamed myself that on that night i was alone had i an assistant with me he might have followed the young lady home stafford being of the same opinion suggested that i should accept the services of his nephew a young bank clerk who had been compelled to leave his occupation in the city temporarily on account of ill health this young fellow whom i had met once or twice at clapham was named philip riley smart well dressed and well educated he had been an athlete before his illness and had carried off many prizes at lilybridge and other places he was just the sort of young man to be useful and when that evening he sat in his uncle's study and the full facts of the case were related to him in confidence he became highly excited over it and announced his eagerness to act under my directions we have a formidable enemy to contend with philip the old gentleman pointed out and recollect that whatever may happen you must act with due caution so as not to play into the hands of our rivals trust me for that he said the affair sounds exciting at all events yes i remarked and matters will grow more exciting before long i anticipate but this miss bristow he exclaimed have we no means of rediscovering her at present i am sorry to say we haven't i responded we may possibly get hold of purvis's new postal address and if we do so it may lead us back to miss bristow who seems to me somehow associated with him how, of course, I can't tell. Riley sat with folded arms, his clean-shaven face bearing a deep, thoughtful look as he puffed his pipe. It is not given to everyone to be engaged on a treasure hunt, and from the first moment when he was told about it, his interest overwhelmed him, and he was eager to make a commencement. After a long consultation, it was arranged that we should both go down to Caldecott and endeavor to find out Purvis's new address it was also agreed that before we took another step we ought to be acquainted with the personal appearance of our rival to work in the dark any longer might we foresaw prove fatal to our object therefore on the following day i introduced riley to the kennaways as the new tenant of the manor-house fortunately they had not communicated with purvis hence i took them somewhat into my confidence and induced mr kennaway to write a letter to calthorpe street asking whether he intended to take the house and requesting the favor of a reply this he did at my dictation and i had the satisfaction of putting the letter in the post-box at rockingham by that ruse i hoped to gain knowledge of purvis's new address as had already been proved he was what is vulgarly known as a slippery customer but both riley and myself determined that if we once knew his postal address we would very quickly come up with him we had taken up our quarters at the Sound Arms at Rockingham, and very comfortable and rustic they were after the dust and heat of London. My long and unavailing vigil in that stifling side street had rather pulled me down. Day after day I had waited there, often hungry and thirsty, and at all times dusty and uncomfortable, compelled to eat as I could, and to hobnob with all and sundry, until my very heart seemed stifled by the dust of the throbbing city but in old-world rockingham even on the most sultry day were soft zephyrs that fanned our cheeks we ate in a room at the back 
and to us through the open window came the sweet scent of climbing roses and honeysuckle and the mingled perfume of the old-fashioned cottage garden behind the fare was plain and wholesome and the ale home-brewed and of the best and we had an opportunity to gossip with the drink-sodden old simpleton ben nutton the kennaways were looking for other quarters therefore we could not yet take possession of the manor-house riley had given forth that he was a student a man of means and something of an invalid therefore he had hired the house for the purposes of being quiet and able to study without such distractions as there were in london he was full of ingenuity which i quickly recognized after he had associated himself with me he made a minute inspection of the house i had taken for him and afterwards became possessed of the fixed idea that the treasure was secreted behind the panelling of the centre upstairs room why i know not but no argument of mine would remove the idea and he was frantically anxious to obtain possession of the premises in order to secure the old italian's hoard we were however compelled to exercise considerable patience we could not hurry the outgoing tenants neither dare we betray any undue anxiety regarding the place we could only await a response from purvis it came at last after nearly a week of idle waiting mr kennaway handed it to me saying it seems as though he wants to take the place after all he's too late i laughed and eagerly read the letter which was to the effect that he had not yet decided but would write giving a definite answer in a couple of days the letter was headed fourteen sterndale road hammersmith london and to that address mr kennaway was asked to write our ruse had worked satisfactorily we were again cognizant of the address the postal address of our mysterious rival riley was eager to return to london in search of him but we remained at rockingham yet another day making inquiries and getting on good terms with most of the people with whom we came into contact ben nutton was of course closely questioned and in reply to my inquiry whether he had since met the gentleman who purchased the bit of parchment from him he said yes he came here about a fortnight ago and asked me if i had anything else to sell and i told him i hadn't he called on you at your cottage yes one night after i came home from work he made me let him look through all the things i had i told him that i'd heard that the parchment i sold him was worth a lot of money and he asked me who told me i explained that a gentleman from london had been asking about it after he had bought it and he laughed saying i know the man he's a fool he is meaning me eh i suppose so sir of course begging your pardon well mr nutton i don't think i'm much of a fool i laughed that man swindled you that's all then do you really think sir that the parchment had something to do with our property he asked in surprise possibly it may have was my response of course i've never seen it so i can't say well sir the old laborer burst forth i don't like that man at all he ain't no gentleman that i'm sure he had i supposed failed to stand the necessary quantity of beer which in nutton's eyes stamped the gentleman why not i inquired because he made a lot of unkind remarks about you sir was his answer he told me that you were trying to swindle me out of the money we ought to have and a long yarn showing you up to be one of the worst of blackguards very kind of him i'm sure i laughed one day however we shall see who's the scoundrel and adventurer in the meantime nutton 
Just beware of any future dealings with him. I will, sir, was the man's reply. I'm very sorry I ever sold that parchment. I only wished I'd showed it to you. You're a gentleman, as would perhaps have been able to read it. Ah, <laughs> nothing. I only wish you had kept it for me, I responded with a heartfelt sigh. But it's useless to cry over spilt milk, you know. We must make the best of it. All you have to do, however, is keep a still tongue in your head and beware of any other gentleman from London. Oh, I will, sir. Now, you can rely on me. That you can. And the old fellow raised his great mug of beer and emptied it at a single gulp. His capacity for ale, like that of many farm laborers, was simply astounding. End of chapter 17